Amen. Well, I think uh, most, if not everybody that's here right now, we're here because we love Jesus, we love truth, and we love goodness. But the fact of the matter is the reason why I'm giving this series of sermons on the coming persecution is we live in a culture that does not love Jesus, a culture that does not love truth, a culture that does not love goodness. And so uh, how do we live in a culture that has uh, turned its back on Jesus? And again, this is, we're not talking about a post-Christian culture. Get all these pastors, everybody think, oh, what a brilliant guy. He realizes we're in a post-Christian culture. Look, Francis Francis Schaeffer was saying that in the 1970s. We're in a post-Christian era. You don't legalize abortion like we did in 1973 in a Christian culture. You don't take prayer to the public schools like we did in 1963 in a Christian culture. We haven't been a Christian. We've been in a post-Christian culture probably all of my life. I was born the first day in 1960. So if we're going to wake up and smell the coffee, uh, you know, Christian pastors and thinkers, they, you know, we need to uh, study the word and apply it to what's going on in the world. This is not a post, post-Christian culture. This is now an anti-Christian culture. And there's a big, big difference. But, um, you know, I hate to say it, but the, the party's over, Okay. And we're going to have to get, guess what, brothers and sisters? We're going to have to live like Christians have lived throughout the centuries, going all the way back to the book of Acts. Our government doesn't love us anymore, and our culture doesn't love us anymore. Now, believe me, there are still non-believers out there that think a lot like we think and don't like what's going on. And so we got an open door right now. We got an open door to some pretty interesting people who used to hate Christianity. Now their only friends are Christians because they don't want to worship the state. And uh, if you love Jesus and you love truth and you love that which is good and that which is beautiful, um, life is going to get very, very difficult in the near future. And... Uh, um, and so we're going to be talking about that. Now, the coming persecution, we talked about that the Bible said all believers will be persecuted, that Jesus came to divide, not to unite. He's not into a united nations, unity while in opposition to Jesus. He's only into unity in Christ. So he came to divide believers from non-believers. Um, uh, we said that our persecutors often believe they are serving God and doing the right thing, and that Jesus predicted that all nations will eventually persecute Christians, uh, but the persecuted will be blessed by God. Great is our reward in heaven. And then, and then I said that we're, we're not alone. Jesus is with us in the midst of our suffering. And then we moved on to how we should respond to persecution. And, uh, and the Bible tells us, don't be ashamed. Obey God rather than men. Live to please God. Yet we have to love our enemies and pray for them and be willing to turn the other cheek, okay? This is, um, 
you know, next week I'll be at Polesville Community Church. I won't be here. I'm going to miss everybody. But I'll be, be preaching on uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, where um, Elijah is called to, to preach against the false prophets. And, um, and there's like, you know, hundreds of these guys. And, um, and not only does God intervene by sending the fire to consume the sacrifice, um, but he also calls his people to execute the false prophets, okay? Well, that was a different time, same God, but different time, and God made a different call. And his ways and his thoughts are as far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. God's not calling us to kill the false prophets, okay? Uh, we're not the nation of Israel, okay? We're not supposed to be a theocracy ruled directly by God. They're the example to the nations. And so we got a mess being in a Gentile uh, nation, but um, it's our job to occupy. It's our job to serve and preach Jesus. It's our job to speak the truth in love and to love uh, those who persecute us and to pray for them. And when Jesus comes back, it's his job to separate the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tares. It's his job um, to, um, to conquer and defeat his enemies. And so this is tough for a guy like me who's had a hard time, always had a hard time turning the other cheek. It's a tough lesson for us. And um, we're all of a sudden, we find out our battles we're called to be warriors, but spiritual warriors. We're to fight on the spiritual level, not on the military level in the name of Christianity. And, uh, and so how should we respond? Don't be ashamed. Obey God rather than men. Live to please God. Love your enemies and pray for them. Uh, turn the other cheek. We've got to remember that God will work everything for our good. Now, the state is being deified, okay? We're suffering white martyrdom right now, which means we're being persecuted right now. Many Christians have lost their jobs. It's the reason why we've had a chunk of our people move to other states. And um, we've had a few people that have had to leave the military. We've had a few uh, people um, that have lost their jobs in the medical profession, okay? And... Um, we're starting to get canceled, uh, but God promises that he'll work all things for our good, and the present sufferings are nothing when compared um, to the glory that will be revealed to us when Jesus returns. We said that God will give us the words to speak. Now, God, you know, God calls me to do apologetics, so I got, I got to be able to, when called, to... to uh, attempt through the power of God and the grace of God and the wisdom of God, defeat atheist philosophers in debates, okay? God's not calling everybody to that level of apologetics, but God does call everybody to defend the faith in one way or another. Sometimes we just defend the faith by our testimonies, how God changed our lives, or just our walks with the Lord and our, word, our deeds sometimes are louder than our words. Um, 
But don't worry about it. If you're not a trained apologist, don't think, oh, no, what am I going to say when they put me on trial for being a Christian? Well, uh, all I can tell you is don't worry. God will give us the words to speak. Okay? Now, I'm half Italian from Jersey, so he's going to have to give me a lot of words. But I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. It's one of the reasons why I'm a preacher. I couldn't keep my mouth shut for an hour on Sunday mornings. But... Um, but God will give us the words to speak. Don't worry about it. He's got to take care. Now, that's no excuse to say, well, I don't have to study my Bible. God will give me the words to speak. No, you study the Bible, okay? And, um, and God will, you know, you'll take on the mind of Christ and see things through Christ's eyes as you study his word. And then um, when the time comes, God will give us the words to speak. We're told, do not fear. We're more than conquerors in Christ. And so now point G is where we're picking up. And uh, uh, live for Jesus, not for self. And so Mark 8, 34 to 38. Mark 8, 34 to 38. said, when he had called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you want to be a follower of Christ, you're supposed to deny your own sinful desires. I don't care if you're a wealthy Christian and God's called you to have a successful business, you're still not supposed to be trying to build your own kingdom. Okay? In the kingdom of God there is room for only one king, okay? And uh, last I heard, his name is still Jesus, okay? And uh, so we deny our own sinful desires. We take up a cross. What's that cross? That's your mission. And for Jesus, his cross was a literal cross. For Peter and his brother Andrew, their cross was a literal cross. Okay, no matter what your ministry is, there's going to be some kind of persecution. Okay, but we've got we've got to be willing to not only live for Jesus, but to also suffer and die for Jesus, if that's what God's called us to. And so, we want to be followers of Jesus. We have to deny ourselves take up our cross, whatever mission God has given us. God's going to call us to be loud Christians. God's going to call some of us to be quiet Christians. Now, I'm not saying that some of us are going to preach the gospel and some of us aren't. God calls all believers to preach the gospel. It's just that some, uh, some Christians, God calls us to preach loudly. And other Christians, God calls us to preach quietly. You know, it might be you having a discussion with somebody at Starbucks or something along those lines, okay, and you're more in the quiet zone. I get sick and tired of hearing loud Christians trying to force everybody else to be loud like them and the quiet Christians trying to, you know, tell the loud Christians to shut up. Now, by the way, by a lot, an effective loud Christian is not an obnoxious jerk, Okay. We got to share the gospel. You know, the most humiliating thing I ever heard in my life was the gospel. 
And somebody broke it down, explained to me, he says, yeah, you know, you, you know how you thought you had a big name back in Jersey? You thought you were a cool guy? Well, guess what? If you get what you deserve, it's called hell. You've earned the eternal flames of hell. Now, if you beg God for mercy and trust in the Lord Jesus for the free gift of salvation, then he'll save you because he died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead to conquer death. That is humiliating. So what we're saying is the gospel message that we have to share with others, that's already offensive to the world, to prideful people. That's already offensive. So we don't have to add offense to it by being an obnoxious jerk, okay? So if you get if you get persecuted for being an obnoxious jerk, that's your fault, okay? But if you're speaking the truth in love, okay? Some people want to talk in love all the time, but they don't want to offend anybody, so they never tell the truth. No, that's that's just encouraging people to go to hell. And then other people want to speak the truth, but without the love, okay? We got to speak the truth in love. And, um, and by the way, that doesn't always mean be mushy and mellow. Read the way Jesus talked to people. Look how gentle he was to the Samaritan woman and the man born blind, okay? Look how tough he was on Nicodemus. Look how tough he was on the Pharisees who didn't accept him in Matthew 23. Okay? And, um, but, uh, but whether you're a quiet Christian or a loud Christian, God calls you to preach Jesus. It's just the quiet ones do it quietly, the loud ones do it loudly. But we got to take up the cross and then follow Jesus. Well, where's Jesus going? Jesus was on the path of obedience to the Father. So we got to deny ourselves, our own sinful desires, take that mission that God has given us, and it's going to include suffering, and then follow Jesus in the path of obedience. Verse 35, Jesus says this, for to save his life, we'll lose it. So you live for yourself, and you desire to save your life. I want to live for me, not for God. You're going to lose eternity. But whoever loses his life for my souls will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, boy, we're living in another adulterous and sinful generation. If you haven't figured that out, you, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want Jesus to tell his Father. I, I never knew him. I never knew this guy. This guy was never one of mine, okay? Um, and so I can't be ashamed of him now. You can't be ashamed of him now. We've got to be all that God has called us uh, to be. But we need to live for Jesus, not for self. 2 Corinthians 5.15, we don't have time to turn there, but it basically says, 
and he died for all, Jesus died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Okay? So um, it's our job to live for Jesus, not live for ourselves. And, um, and, and, and by the way, we're going we're gonna to talk about it in the next point. But, you know, you, you might have a tough decision. You might say, I've got a job promotion. But my big boss told me I've got to keep my mouth shut about my faith on the job site. I don't know what the answer to that is. God might be calling you to say, to tell your boss, no. I'm one of those loud Christians, and um, I'm going to share my faith, okay? And, uh, and then you don't get the promotion. Maybe even you lose the job you currently have. For others, it might be, okay, God wants me to be wise as a serpent, okay? There's a difference between the many Christian quarterbacks in the NFL that we have today that still have a job in the NFL and Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was a loud Christian, so he kept dropping the J-bomb in post-game uh, interviews. He used the J-word. And this was at a time you weren't even allowed to say the Lord. You could barely get away with the man upstairs back then. And um, so the NFL can tolerate football players who happen to be Christian. They cannot tolerate loud Christians who happen to be football players. Okay, And people say, oh, but it's throwing motion. Look, two most important statistics in football, wins and losses. You show me somebody else who started for almost a complete season, had a winning record, took a lousy team into the playoffs, and wins 60% of his games when he's not playing the Patriots. He lost two games that year to the Patriots, won the regular season, and they were winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl back then. Um, no, it's all about wins and losses. There are guys that have won less than 30% of their games that are still second-string quarterbacks in the NFL and maybe 10 years down the line, they get another shot to start. Um, but, um, and, uh, but the key is we've got to live for Jesus, not live it for ourselves. This is why Joshua, Joshua 24, 15, after the Jews had conquered the promised land, but there were still pagans in the promised land, and Joshua said, told him, you got you to choose which side you're on. And he said, but it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've got to choose right now. America's got so many false gods, I can't even list them all right now. And you've got to choose whether you're going to worship one or several of the false gods, or you're going to worship yourself, or you're going to worship King Jesus. Separation is going on right now between those who love Jesus and those who don't. There's no middle ground. You try to have middle ground. You try to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you got both feet in the world. Okay? This is the time to make that decision to stand for Jesus. Trust in him alone for salvation and proclaim him and the good news of salvation through him until he returns and to live in obedience to his word. You got to make that decision now. 
Don't wait till the feds are knocking on the door. Okay? And um, so uh, 1 Kings 18.21, I'll be talking about that next week at Polesville Community Church, but uh, Elijah the prophet told the people, don't hesitate between two opinions. So you got to decide which side you're on. Don't hesitate. I hope there's nobody in our church. We got a small church. But I look around, you know, when I, when I, we had a bigger church at one time, about twice the size of this, but they were all new. We were leading these young people to Christ. I'd, look, I'd be terrified. I'd look out at 135 people, and 80 to 90 of them had been saved less than six months, and they were all young people. Now I look out, I see people trained for, for ministry, equipped for ministry. It doesn't have to be a formal ministry with the nonprofit status or whatever, but everybody in this room, there should be people that you are ministering to, that God's called you to be their spiritual big brother or big sister. And um, so I'm hoping that you're not hesitating right now. But this is not the time to hesitate between two opinions. This is the time to declare which side you're on. And I hope with Joshua you'll say, but it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time on the next point. So we live for Jesus and not for self. But this point, it, it is okay to flee or try to defend your loved ones. It's, it's, it's actually not our job to try to get ourselves killed. If, if Peter and the apostles said, you know what, it's our job to get ourselves killed, and they really tried to get themselves killed, you, didn't have, you don't have to put a lot of effort into that in the early years of the church. They would all die in their, in their 20s and 30s, okay? And the church would have never got off the ground. We wouldn't even be here today. So there are times when, you know, Peter had the opportunity. What did he do? He fled. When the angel set him free from prison, after James, the brother of John, had been beheaded by one of the Herods, uh, we don't have time to look at it, but in Acts 12, 17, Peter fled. In fact, maybe, maybe we do, should look at that. Just Acts chapter 12, verse 17. So Peter had to keep knocking on the door because like, the early church was a lot like us. They're praying for Peter to be free. And then God answers their prayer, and Peter's knocking on the door, and uh, the girl answers it and then slams the door. She thinks she's seeing a ghost. He's like, he's like, you know, God would never answer our prayers, you know. Almost every week, John gets up and talks about some prayer that God answered for us. And we only keep track of the ones that he doesn't answer the way we want him to. If you keep track of him long enough, you'll see, wow, I'm glad he didn't answer it the way I wanted him to. But in 1217, but motioning to them, Peter, with his hand, with them to keep silent. See, he's telling them, hey, don't, don't, don't make a lot of noise right here. I'm a wanted man. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Two things. Peter had the opportunity to flee. He took it. He said, I don't think God's done with me yet. I want to be with Jesus. 
but there's people that God wants me to reach. Now, Paul, later on, 30 years later, Paul can say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He realized I completed the mission God gave me. It's time for me to go home and see Jesus. But Peter still had th three decades left in him. And so what did he do? He fled. That's number one. Number two, though, you look at that verse, and Luke tells us he departed and went to another place. Really? Luke, the great historian that gives us all these incredible details, you know, we've even learned stuff about ancient shipping from reading the book of Acts and the, the shipwreck of Acts 27. He gives us all these minute little details. In Acts chapter 16, he switches from Paul and the others went here, they went there. All of a sudden, Acts chapter 16, he starts saying, and we went here and we went there. So he lets you know when he was with Paul. And uh, gives you all these details. And this great historian didn't even know where Peter, one of the biggest leaders in the early church, he didn't even know where he went. I think he knew where he went. But he knew Peter was still in hot water. Paul, you could tell where Paul was at all times. Because at the close of Acts, Paul's in prison. Uh, but Peter's still on the loose. So he just, he just said, look, oh, yeah, and he departed and went to another place. It's like, I'm not going to tell you where he went and planted churches. And that caused all kinds of disturbances because the, the non-believing Jews got upset in the synagogues and riots and, and things like that. I'm not even going to tell you where he went. He just went to another place. So it's okay to flee. or uh, And it, it, it's okay even to try to defend your loved ones. Um Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 to 38. Luke 22, 35 to 38. And he, that's Jesus, and he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, so now he's saying, things are going to be different now. But now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. You might be sleeping in the woods. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, that's the thieves, he's going to be crucified with criminals, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So two of the apostles were packing, okay? But now, now somebody might say, well, Jesus was doing that to to set him up, because then Peter later on is going to cut off the high priest servant's ear. Jesus is going to get ticked off at Peter. He's going to heal the guy's ear. We now know his name is Malchus. He ended up coming to Christ. If Jesus put my ear back on and healed it, I, I would have come to Christ too. Okay? And um, uh, no, Jesus was basically saying, look, guys, I am going to get arrested tonight. They're going to kill me with criminals. It's my time to go. It's not your time to go. 
So you need some preparations, okay? You need to be prepared for tonight, and one of those preparations is going to include having a couple swords. So Jesus had no problem with Peter defending himself. You got to understand, did they, you know, Jesus said, hey, who are you looking for? You know, because Jesus is going to tell him, you want me, you get me, let my people go. Okay? Don't arrest them. So Jesus is like, who are you looking for? And, and uh, they said, Jesus and Nazareth. So Jesus said, I am. In other words, I am he, but it's ego emi, the Greek version of the uh, Hebrew Yahweh. I am who I am, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So Jesus is saying, I'm the eternal God who created the universe and is in covenant with the nation of Israel. And 600 Roman soldiers dropped to their backs and probably got up slowly. The Bible doesn't say, but if I was one of them, I would have got up slowly. And I Because first, I would have been all upset. Why do you need 600 Roman soldiers wake us up in the middle of the night, destroy our sleep to arrest one Jewish guy? And then when he, his word knocked them on their backs, they're getting up slow. They're like, oh, no, man, we're in water over our heads. We might not even win this battle. Okay, and uh, but that's the way a Jewish fisherman named Peter was thinking. He's thinking, well, you know, Jesus is so pessimistic. He keeps talking about dying. If he can knock 600 Roman soldiers down with his spoken word, then if he's a little reluctant, fine, that's okay. I'll start Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon, and then Jesus will finish it. Okay, Um, and so he was still expecting Jesus to militarily conquer. Okay, and um, so Jesus slammed Peter because Peter's like, look, I don't, yeah, I'll tell you, God does not need your protection. Peter had a hard time understanding that. Jesus saying, look, I don't need you to protect me. Now, if they come after you, Peter, and you want to use that sword, I'm okay with that. Okay, Um, I think if you're a single guy, and you're going, you know, they're busting down the door of your house. They're coming for you because uh, they've, they've totally outlawed Christianity. And um, uh, it's up to you. You know, you choose. Do you want to go out and, and exchange? Or do you want to go out just to say, hey, you know, I'll start a prison ministry or whatever, okay? Um, once you have a family, you're obligated to, to, to try to protect them. And so you have to really, I'm not saying that means you go out shooting automatically, but you, you got to spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in prayer. You know, this sounds so weird, this message. I'm, I'm thinking, this sounds unbelievable. It wasn't unbelievable in the Soviet Union. It's not unbelievable today in Red China or North Korea. It's not unbelievable in Cuba. It's not unbelievable in India, okay? And now Christians are losing their jobs. You got bakers in what, Texas, Colorado, and in another state, and in a florist in, um, in Washington state, losing their businesses because they refuse to participate and serve in gay, gay weddings, okay? This is not tolerance. You know, true tolerance, you tolerate those who disagree with you, but it doesn't mean that you join with them in what you think is sin. 
the new tolerance is like, hey, this is the agenda. We won the the leftist side, the anti-Christian side, said we won the culture wars. Now we got to decide what to do with these Christians. By the way, there's actually a quote on that in the coming Christian persecution. I've been saying that for years, but I didn't even know that some of the leftists actually came right out and have said that in print. We won the culture war. Now we get to decide what to do with these Christians. And and you and they say things like uh, you can interpret the Bible in such a way that homosexuality is not a sin. Well, yeah, you can misinterpret the Bible and make it say that, but that's not what it says. So they're basically saying, look, we want to give the Christians freedom of religion so long as they believe what we believe. But if they disagree with us, let's crush them, okay? And, um, and so, you know, uh, but, but it, it's okay. You know, you have to pray about it. It's, it's a... Uh, you know, God, you know, I, I, you know, if they're coming after me, I'm going to try to flee. But, you know, I don't run as fast as I used to. Okay? And, uh, uh, and it's okay to defend, to try to defend your loved ones. But there's going to be some tough choices we have to make. And that's why with John, with the pre- preparation classes and stuff like that, we're trying to get people ready so that you already made the smart decisions rather than having to just instantaneously think, and, and you pray about it, okay? But, you know, now keep in mind here, it's okay to be a quiet Christian. Now keep in mind, um, a, all Christians preach the gospel. Quiet Christians preach it in a quiet way. That's called the underground church. Loud Christians preach it in a loud way. When things come down, those are the guys and gals that get locked up, okay? Um, But it's okay to be a quiet Christian. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. Jesus said, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, now Jesus is not saying, look, don't give what is holy, like the gospel message to non-believers. No, but he's saying there are some non-believers that are open to the gospel message, and there are others who will kill you if you share the gospel message with them. This is why when, when Jesus sent his followers out, uh, he told his followers in Matthew 10, verses 16 and 17, to be as wise as serpents. So you got to differentiate between non-believers who are open to the gospel and in a time of persecution, which was Jesus' day, or you can get in terrible trouble with the state for preaching the truth. Jesus says, look, don't even give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine. Otherwise, they're going to trample you under your uh, under their feet and tear you to pieces. Um, don't forget, the night Jesus was betrayed, doubting Thomas asked him, he said, Jesus, show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay? Later on that same night, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked Jesus what is truth, and Jesus didn't answer him. See, Jesus wasn't casting his pearls before swine. He knew, Jesus knew one guy was ready for the answer, Thomas, but another guy wasn't ready for the answer. You know, I think Jesus knew too, is Pilate thinks I'm an innocent guy, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him know, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. And, um, but, um, but Jesus, so Jesus isn't saying it's your job to build. It is not God's general will for all believers to build files upon files upon files upon files of evidence that can be used against you when things come down. Okay? Now, again, I'm differentiating here between the quiet Christians and the loud ones. Okay? I laughed when a mayor in a Texas town, um, they were requiring the pastors to turn in their transcribed, you know, transcripts on exactly word for word what they preached on. And, of course, the pastor said, take a hike. And there was a big argument, and the pastors won out on that. But I thought, what would I say if they told me? I'd tell them, I'd say, no, I'm not going to do any extra work for you. I don't work for you. I work for King Jesus. I don't work for you. Now, just go, you know, there's K-Life, there's KGNW, there's a station in Philadelphia, there's the Internet. My, all my stuff is out. We don't hide anything, okay? So, you know, just keep in mind, God's going to call some of us to be very, very loud, and God's going to call others of us to be very, very quiet. But that doesn't mean some preach the gospel and others don't. We all preach the gospel. Some do it in a loud way, hopefully not an obnoxious way. Some, some God's going to call us to do it in a quiet way. I think um, until Jesus returns, I think there's going to be powerful home churches among the remnant meeting in secret like they are right now in China. And uh, believe me, the Trump administration started a, this whole thing on religious freedom in 2021, and we're really going to try to, to uh, encourage religious freedom all throughout the world. But the Biden administration came in. It's one of the first things they did was they shut that down. And um, the Trump administration was saying religious freedom is one of the most important and basic freedoms and rights the Biden administration says, says no, it, religious freedom holds no higher ground than LGBTQ rights and abortion rights. Well, what does that mean then if you think abortion's murder and LGBTQ is a sinful lifestyle? That means you really don't have religious freedom in that area. Okay? But I can guarantee there's Bible-believing Christians going to Bible-believing churches that will continue to vote for those who openly say they want to persecute Christians. And um, so, I mean, we, we, do, we could transform this country if we just had revival in the church. <laughs> you know, forget about the revival in the world. We just got to revive the church. I mean, 63% of Americans still claim to be Christian. 
That's bogus, man. It's like two-thirds of them. They couldn't even tell you what the gospel is. And, um, but, uh, uh, when Jesus taught in parables, he gave two reasons. We don't have time to look at it, but you could write this down if you get a chance. Matthew 13, 10 to 13, Jesus explained why he taught in parables. Matthew 13, verses 10 to 13, he said, I, you know, they said, why are you speaking in parables? And parables are true to life stories that teach spiritual truth. Okay. And whereas an allegory is a story that's not true to life that teaches spiritual truth. So an allegory is like when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Well, he's not really a vine and we're not really branches. But a parable is still a story, but it's a true to life story. Sowers do go out to sow. Farmers do go out to farm. Fishermen do go out to fish. Okay? And they asked, the apostles asked him, why do you speak in parables? And he said, to reveal truth, basically, to my followers and to those who are open to the gospel message, but to conceal truth or to hide truth from those who oppose me. See, Jesus, this is just another way of Jesus saying, don't cast your pearls before swine. So, you know, he would talk about, tell stories about fishing and farming, and most of his listeners were fishermen and farmers. They're saying, wow, I, I'm not even a theologian, and I can relate to this. And then they would care enough to try to figure out well, what did he mean by it. Whereas the Jewish religious leaders, the trained theologians, they just wanted to refute Jesus and trap him. So they would show up ready to find, catch him saying something anti-Roman or anti-Jewish law, and then we could trap him, you know, and stuff. So they show up and they'd say, oh, we're wasting our time here. He's talking about fishing and farming. And they wouldn't even pay attention. They wouldn't even stay around. They go and do, quote, unquote, more important things. And, uh, and, and so there's a time that Jesus, you know, even taught in parables. In fact, the apostles thanked him on the night he was betrayed for speaking to them clearly and literally because he had spoken parables so much. They're like, thank you. Now you're just coming right out and telling us. Uh, Jesus rarely answered his opponent's questions. He usually would answer his opponent's question with a question himself. It's like Jesus is quoting from a Tom Cruise movie and saying, you can't handle the truth. Okay? Some people can't handle the truth. And um, now there comes a time. The Pharisees who couldn't handle the truth, when Jesus knew, you know, he announced he was the Messiah without using words when he rode in Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9 9. Um, now the cat's out of the bag, and Jesus knows his time to die has come. So that's when you get Matthew 23. Woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. Outside you're white and clean, but inside you're filled with the stench of dead men's bones. Uh, you know, so no, there was a time when Jesus said, hey, all bets are off now. I don't have to conceal anything because now is the time that my father has called me to die. And so you might have one of those moments. Now, the Catholic priest, I don't know if he was a believer or not. I forget which country it was in, but uh, I think a European country. And uh, two Muslims yelling... Allah Akbar came in to slit, slit his throat, and as they were slitting his throat, um, he, he said, uh, uh, Be gone, Satan. 
you know, 20 minutes earlier, if he saw those guys on the street, he'd probably be witnessing to them, assuming he's a true believer. But um, I don't think they're open to the gospel when they're putting a, a blade to my neck. And so then you just you just let it out, okay? Now, some was, God's going to call some of us to just let it, let it fly right here and now and just let the chips fall uh, where they may. But Jesus rarely answered his opponent's questions. He didn't even publicly call himself Messiah, call himself the Son of Man, because the Jews didn't know what to make out of that, because it goes back to Daniel chapter 7, one like the Son of Man coming in with the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So Jesus didn't even publicly call himself the Messiah because the Jews were expecting a military conquering political Messiah. And Jesus was like, no, I'm here to save you from your sins. I'll conquer your enemies when I return. Um, so he didn't want to give them the wrong idea. He even commanded demons to stop telling people that he's the Christ, the Son of God. He commanded his apostles after they figured out that he's the Messiah, don't tell anybody. Okay? And um, uh, so Jesus didn't publicly call himself Messiah until he was ready to die. The ancient church, guess what? They met in secret. Even Pliny the Younger, a Roman in 112 AD, talked about how they would meet on Sunday mornings before the sun rose and in the darkness and meet in secret. Um, the fish was their secret symbol. You know, um, You'd be talking to somebody, you think, I think this guy's open to the gospel. Maybe he's even a Christian. So you look around, nobody's looking. You get on the ground and you'd write like a semicircle. And then you look at the guy. If the guy looks at you like, what a nut, and walks away, it's like, wow, that's good. He's not a Christian. He might have taken me out. But if the guy then looks around and goes down and completes the semicircle by making a fish, then it was like, okay. He's one of us. He recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the, the Son of God, and the Savior. That's all tied in uh, to that. Uh, even the Bible, the biblical authors use Babylon as a code word for Rome. So Peter in 1 Peter, he's telling that the people, those in Babylon, send their greetings. Well, Babylon was uninhabited in the first century A.D. So Peter, where's Peter? Who's in Rome at that point, saying that the Christians in Rome say hello, but he doesn't want, it's, it's like Luke saying Peter went to another place. He didn't want people to know exactly where he was um, at that point. Revelation chapter 17 and 18, Babylon is spoken of, the, the city uh, of the seven hills, and Rome is the city of the seven hills. It's all in code. So if somebody intercepted John's letter to the seven churches, the Roman officials, they wouldn't see Rome mentioned even once. Okay? And, um, um, and that's why Jesus told his followers to be wise as serpents. Now, some of today's codes, in the NFL, you're not allowed to say Jesus. I had a friend, Pastor Ken Hutcherson. He went to be with the Lord, died of cancer, but... He was a linebacker for the Seahawks, and before that, a linebacker with the Cowboys. And um, But they stopped interviewing him because he talked about Jesus so much. And uh, But that's okay. You could be a linebacker in the NFL who talks about Jesus all the time. They'll just never interview you. 
But under NFL contract, they have to interview the head coach and the starting quarterback of the winning team and the losing team. And so if you can't stop talking about Jesus, you're toast. Your career, your career is pretty much over. So here's the codes you could look for now if you watch closely enough. Uh, Marcus, uh, no, uh, we have uh, Marcus Mariota. Uh, used to play for Oregon and um, NFL quarterback. Whenever they asked him like a question about like, you know, why are you so great type of thing? He'd say, oh, no, uh, I'm just I'm just blessed. I've been very blessed with my family back home and with my teammates. And uh, football is a team sport. When a guy keeps saying blessed, blessed, not lucky, but blessed, blessed, blessed. It's like, OK, we get the memo. You're a brother. Okay, see, cancel call. We think cancel culture started a couple years ago. Tim Tebow got canceled a long time ago. Okay, and uh, there were people being canceled before him, outside of uh, outside of football. Uh, another uh, another code, uh, the face paint they put under them, the the black paint under the eyes. Um, you'll see like two of the quarterback for uh, Miami, even going back to his Alabama days. They, by the way, a lot of these guys come from strong Hawaiian families who went to the same high school or high school district as Cedric in Hawaii. But they just, they just produce world-class quarterbacks. But now some of the guys take that and they turn it into a big cross. Sometimes they have it on both cheeks, sometimes only one cheek. Well, do they really need to do that? No. Well, then why are they doing it? They're talking in code. They're talking in code. And um, uh, every once in a while, you'll see these guys in a documentary interview about themselves. Even there, they'll, they'll cut stuff out. Like Brian Bosworth, he ended up coming to Christ, and that's kind of left out in his documentary, even though he's, he's a loud Christian now. And uh, they just he just didn't have the, the choice in what gets edited and what doesn't. And... Um, um, Okay, and then in our society, we have to have certain codes. I can't even, I can't even violate one of the codes right now because we got two of my sermons were were canceled, taken off of YouTube because of it, and um, um, and so uh, people have come up with a a word to replace what they're really talking about on Facebook and stuff like that. If you have any questions about that, after the camera's off, we could talk about that. But here's a case. This is, this, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, come right and tell you, this is not a case of uh, Pastor Phil not having courage, okay? Now, if I'm about to be executed and I deny Christ, yeah, then call me a coward, a hellbound coward. But this is not a lack of courage. This is just the fact that I'm trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. And it's not essential to my message that I mention the code words that we have to use, like on Facebook and things like that, so as not to get censored. Uh, that's just being wise as a serpent, okay? And, and not uh, casting pearls before swine, because at this particular time, I don't think it's time yet. Uh,
uh, for uh, Phil Fernandez to be trampled on by men. Now, that time might come. And if that time comes, then I better, I better cast my pearls in the faces of swine. And, uh, and uh, just like Polycarp did when, uh, when he was burnt at the stake. Uh, so if you want to know what I'm talking about there, we could talk after the camera's off. Even, you know, even the, the late Dr. Michael Heiser, an Old Testament scholar, he pointed out that many of the Old Testament prophecies, messianic prophecies, prophecies about Jesus, many of them weren't even prophecies. They weren't even predictions. They were just kind of little clues that you wouldn't even know that it was the clue of the Messiah until after Jesus fulfilled it, after it happened. None, none of the guys, none of the theologians, Jesus, they were looking for a bodily resurrection. But after Jesus rose from the dead and the apostles said, oh, this is what David meant, where God would not allow his Holy One's body to see decay. And by the way, in that part of the world, the bodies don't start decaying until the fourth day. Lazarus was in the tomb, John 11, on the fourth day, and they, they didn't want to roll the stone away. They said, he stinketh, in the King James Version. And... Um, and so to not see decay, Jesus had to be raised on the, the third day or earlier. And um, um, they pierced my hands and my feet. They cast lots for my garments. Nobody was looking for the Messiah to get his hands and feet pierced and lots cast for his garments until after it happened to Jesus, especially since Jesus quoted from the first verse of Psalm 22, that psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So why, why would, like Isaiah 53, there, there's some Old Testament passages that it's just like a no-brainer. You don't have to be a theologian to figure out. That's, that's talking about Jesus. That's 700 years before he walked the earth. So there's just these, you know, a few hundred really straight-out prophecies, but then probably hundreds, if not more, of these little tiny clues that you don't realize until after Jesus fulfilled them. Why? Why speak in code? By the way, this might, might have been what gave the Gnostics secret knowledge. These heretics might have given them confidence because they might have picked up on a little bit of this not casting your pearls before swine and then taking it to an anti-God, anti-Christian degree. But there was that being a wise as a serpent. But why? Who is, who is God trying to hide many of the specifics of Messiah's ministry, who would God try to hide that from? Guess what? Satan reads the Bible. He probably reads the Bible uh, more diligently than most Christians do. Okay? He and his demons, they're looking. And so Jesus says, I don't, you know, the angels are smarter than the humans, even the fallen ones, but... Um, I'll give many, many clues that won't be obvious that they're talking about the Messiah until after I fulfill those. And so again, it's that principle of not casting your pearls uh, before swine. So what I'm saying is, look, it's okay to be a quiet Christian. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, rather than go over time and rush through the rest, we're just going to close it out here. Um, but... What I'm saying, it, it, 
it's okay to be a quiet Christian. It is not our goal to get martyred. Don't think, oh, I got to apply Pastor Phil's message. Let me go out and get myself killed. That's not what I'm saying. And if I were preaching in Nigeria right now, where well, we, we, just, we just ignore the media claims to not be racist, but they just ignore um, when Africans are being slaughtered by a Muslim. They just, just ignore that. It doesn't fit into their anti-Christian narrative. But even if I were preaching in Nigeria, I would tell my people it's not our goal to get martyred. It's our goal to preach Jesus. Okay? Now, God might call you to preach Jesus in a quiet way. Well, good. Preach Jesus in a quiet way. Um, believe me, I, we, we need guys with former law enforcement experience, former military experience. They're going to have to come up with a strategy for the underground church. Okay? And um, just like we have, you know, we, security measures to try to protect our people and things of that sort. And we're trying to be wise as serpents, okay? So it's not our goal to get martyred. It's our goal to preach Jesus in a quiet way or in a loud way if that's what God has called us to do. And see, for a lot of quiet Christians, they're not used to being loud. You know, maybe they're not from Essex County, New Jersey. They're not half Italian. And they're just real quiet people. And it's not their nature to be loud. And, uh, well, then fine. Then you quietly preach the gospel. But when you get caught and that moment has come where God unchanged your tongue, that's when the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. And so even the quiet Christians, we're going to get loud when we know, okay, I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going out with a bang. By the way, do not get the impression I'm saying that Loud Christians are holier than quiet Christians. There are loud Christians that just need to shut up, okay? If you can't speak the truth in love, shut shut your mouth, okay? And uh, so there are loud Christians that are just as, you know, they displease the Lord just as much as some quiet Christians do. The key is being all that God called you to be, Doing all that God called you to do, saying all that God called you to say, okay? But it's not your job to get martyred. It's your job to preach Jesus and uh, so that when Christianity gets outlawed, do not be ashamed to get arrested for preaching Jesus. And by the way, it sounds real easy. Yeah, they arrested me for preaching Jesus. I won't be ashamed. Well, wait till you see what the charges are going to be. The charges might be so rotten that everybody on the planet, except those who really know you and your character, they could pin anything on you. Believe me, right now, there are, there are powerful people in, in governments and technology and business around the world that are serial pedophiles, and you will never hear anything about it in the mainstream media. Yet, believe me, you can take, we have, the, we just saw that movie last night, Cat the Net, and it was from 1995. Sandra Bullock, is that her name? Movie, and um, uh, about this, this computer technology had taken over all the computers of the world. 
So if they had somebody they didn't like, they just wiped out the real history and gave them a prison record, warrants out for their arrest, and everything. And believe me, those days are here. Uh, there's actually one thing that has helped in former President Trump is he's a public figure. So you just can't make up total baloney. If everybody knows where he was in 1994, you can't just make up stories about it. So, so what they're trying to do with him is take things that are not crimes and make them sound like crimes. Meanwhile, the other side of the aisle can get billions of millions of dollars from enemies and admit it in public, and they're probably never going to see the inside of a prison cell. And um, uh, so when Christianity gets outlawed, don't be ashamed to be arrested for preaching the gospel. But let me also say this. If you're being all that God called you to be, don't be ashamed to not be arrested. Okay? So as long as I'm preaching Jesus, if a bunch of my pastor friends get arrested and I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have a hard time sleeping at night and say, Lord, what am I doing wrong? But you just keep preaching Jesus. Okay, so um, when Christianity gets outlawed, don't be ashamed to be arrested. Don't be ashamed to not be arrested. Only be ashamed if you deny Christ or if you aren't being all that he's called you to be. So whether it's in a quiet way or it's in a loud way, we preach King Jesus and salvation through him and his cross and resurrection. We will preach King Jesus in a quiet way or a loud way until he returns in glory to take his stand upon the earth to make things right. So we'll continue this uh, next week. Let's close with a word of prayer or the week after next. Father Jesus, precious name, we just love you, Lord. And... Most American, quote-unquote, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Christians, we've proven that we can be faithful servants when days are good. But our faith is yet to be tested, Lord. May we be able to live and even suffer and die for your Son, the Lord Jesus, when days get bad. And so, Lord, while there's still some semblance of, of freedom, of religion, freedom of speech in this country, help us to live for you while days are good so that we'll be confident that through the power of God, we'll be willing to die for you when things get bad. And as the kingdoms of this world declare war on your unshakable kingdom, May we proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus to those you place in our lives. In Jesus.